we'll shift gears into the sermon at this point, 574, 574, what does that number represent? It was 574 days ago that we started the sermon series on the book of Acts. We started with unfinished for the first half of it, then we are moved to unstoppable. Today marks sermon number 48 in the sermon series. We have two more to go, so we'll hit the magic number 50 uh, for the entire sermon series. We'll finish up on Easter Sunday going through a recap, and today we start a two-part sermon series uh, for chapter 28. And if you remember, uh, Luke has been traveling with Paul. They've been, they've been in a boat. Uh, they've been tossed to and fro. They, they've been all over the place. And, uh, and, and they've found themselves in a dangerous situation. They're trying to make their way all the way to Rome from where they started off at, which was a long journey. Uh, verse 37 in chapter 27 tells us that there was 276 people in the boat. So that was a lot of people to keep alive during this difficult time. We, we just recently saw Paul took charge of the boat. Paul, Paul was trying to give some commands and, and they weren't listening to him. And then finally Paul stood up and said, hey, the Lord spoke to me. And this is what we're to do. And finally the people started heeding him. And a hurricane was pushing the boat towards an, an unknown body of land. And today, today we get to see how all 276 passengers of that boat make it to the shore safely. And they're welcomed by the natives, welcomed with open arms. In fact, it says... That the scripture says they showed us unusual kindness. That's what we're going to see in today's scripture. That would be a great thing to be say, said about you, wouldn't it? That when you came, someone came to your home, someone came to your place, they, man, they showed me unusual kindness. Great kindness. Well, after spending some time with the natives, Paul and, and the other 275 people, they get to spend three days with the chief man on the island. We don't know what chief man means, but he was wealthy and had great resources. And, and then Paul heals a guy, and, and then he heals a whole bunch of other people, and, and eventually they get in another boat three months down the line, and, and they head to Rome. Rome is the destination that Paul has been longing for. You remember, it's been about three years, maybe more, prior to this moment in time in our study where Paul wrote to the Romans. He wrote the book of Romans, and he said, I long to be with you. I want to be with you. I'm going to stop there on my way to Spain. I, I can't wait to be there. And, and you know, Paul was told by God, we've talked about this over and over in Acts 23, 11. Take courage. God is telling them, for as you have testified to the facts from me in Jerusalem, 
so you must testify also in Rome. He got a promise from God that he was going to get to Rome. And so he was hanging on that promise. He had a destination in mind, and he was going to get there. You know, maybe you're like my dad, how my dad was, how Grandpa Chapman was. You see, every year, we would take a family trip to Hayward, Wisconsin. We loved going to Hayward, Wisconsin. We'd fish and eat, relax. It was a great time. We'd spend two or three weeks there every year. But my dad, when he got a destination in mind, he needed to get there. So on the morning that we could check into the cabin, he would wake the whole family up about four in the morning, and he already had the car packed. And he'd jump in the car, and we would make that six-hour trip straight north almost to Hayward, Wisconsin. Interesting enough, sometimes we'd pass this church as we were heading to 39. But my dad would not stop. He would take that, uh, what was it, a Chevy Capri station wagon, the blue one. My brother would be sitting on the front hump, uh, armrest in the front seat, while we were all lounged in the back with no seatbelts, while my dad was smoking in the front. And we would fly as fast as we could to Hayward, Wisconsin. My dad had a destination in mind, and we were going to go there. If we had to stop for gas, uh, he was probably looking for another vehicle to come alongside us and fill us up on the run. Man, I remember times we had to go to the bathroom so bad, my dad just didn't want to stop because he wanted to get to his destination. And, and is that what you are like? You're trying to get to that destination so bad that everything else is blocked off. You're trying to get that task done so much that everything, all the peripheral things disappear because you're going to get that task completed. You love checking off that box. You see, Paul wanted to get to that destination. He wanted to get to Rome so bad. He longed for it. He just wanted to get there and preach the gospel just like he did in Jerusalem. When I start reading through the book of Acts and studying it deeply and understanding who Paul was, I begin to understand more and more that Paul wasn't only about getting to the destination. He was about listening to the Holy Spirit. He was about hearing what the Holy Spirit was guiding him to do, trying to rely on him leading. So in today's story, at least at the beginning, Paul, Luke, and the the rest of the travelers, they're going to get to this island. They're coming into a port, a beach area. In fact, later on, that beach is going to be called uh, like St. Paul Beach. It's the largest city in Malta today. And, and they, they arrive at that beach in Malta. Malta, coincidentally, means refuge, which is perfect for our story today. It's a small island, 122 square miles, not a big island at all. And it's amazing to see how God brought Paul and his companions to that place through the hurricane. That's what's amazing to see. And when you look at, at verse 9 of Acts 27, you see Paul urging the captain. He's saying, hey, let's stay in Fairhaven. 
let's stop and stay here because they wanted to keep going, what was it, to Phoenix. They wanted to just go up, up the shore a little bit to Phoenix, and, and it wasn't a super long trip. They didn't want to stay in Fairhaven. Fairhaven was a bad place to stay. It wasn't, there wasn't a lot of shopping, if you will, and, and restaurants. Uh, there was no McDonald's there, so they needed to get going. They, wanted, they saw a better place that they could get to Phoenix. That's going to be a good destination. And so, so Paul's like, you know what? We need to stay. It's too dangerous. It's too dangerous for us, for us to move on. But they wanted to keep going. You see, Paul understood that it says after the feast in that time, if you went out in the Mediterranean Sea in October, whew, you were just risking it. You were risking a dangerous time. You could not go out November 11th to the end of March. It was impossible. They, they wouldn't let you. They would try everything they could to stop you because of the danger. Well, we know that this time when they're in Fairhaven is probably at the end of October or the very beginning of November. These people just wanted to take that small little risk. And Paul's saying, stop, no. Let's just wait here. They didn't heed his voice, which played in later on where Paul gets to say, hey, I told you so. But as they're making their way up the shore, all of a sudden the winds come. What is it called? The northeaster which we often refer to as a hurricane. Those hurricane winds came and, and ripped the boat out into the middle of the Mediterranean. Now, frankly, there's really zero chance of survival. You see, these boats were wood, and, and they had ropes around it, and, and they would try to tighten those ropes so it would tighten up the wood and, and lock it in, and that's what they were doing. And they were fighting it over and over and over, and, and for 14 days they were battling this. 14 days and they were starving there was they weren't eating because they didn't have time to eat they're throwing stuff overboard trying to make sure that they're getting the balance right of the of the boat and and they're just trying to say wow what is going on here but paul was on a mission from god and he knew that he was going to get to rome and he didn't know how he'd already been shipwrecked three times so he knew what that was like Let's start by reading verse 39 of Acts 27. Now when it was day, that was a good sign because they get to see the sun a little bit. They hadn't seen the sun much. When it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they noticed a bay with a beach on which they planned, if possible, to run the ship ashore. So they cast off the anchors and left them in the sea. And at the same time, loosening the ropes that tied the rudders, then hoisting the foresail to the wind, they made for the beach. But striking a reef, they ran the vessel aground. The bow stuck and remained immovable. Then the stern was being broken up by the surf. You can imagine this, the boat, they, they flipped it around. So they're, they're pointing it towards the, towards the ocean. They've, they've thrown anchors to try to balance everything in the back. And, and all of a sudden, I mean, the waves are just crashing and they're... They're breaking waves, and they're coming right in and breaking apart the boat from behind. Then the soldiers' plan was to kill the prisoners, lest anyone should swim away and escape. Remember, if you're a Roman and you're in charge of a prisoner, and they got away, you got their punishment. So you couldn't let them get away. 
But the centurion, wishing to save Paul, kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and make for land, and the rest on the planks or on the pieces of the ship. And so it was that all were brought safely to land. Now verse 1 of 28. After we were brought safely through, we then learned the island was called Malta. This is our first point. As Christians, we should seek safety in the arms of God. Seek safety in the arms of God. Paul listened to the Lord. He followed his leading through this whole process. That's why, that's why he was talking about it. And, and somehow, in some way, God guided this ship to this island that was in the middle of nowhere. If you look on that map that we showed a couple weeks ago, Malta is almost non-existent. 122 square miles. That is a very small little blip in the middle of the Mediterranean. And, and, and God brought them and guided the ship right there. And it's amazing. Right as the ship is about to crumble apart, that's when they see land. God had Paul in mind. He was bringing Paul safely because he had a plan for Paul's life. And Paul must have been thinking, I am safe in the arms of my Savior. There was this girl, she was a little girl born in New York in, in 1820. When she was born, she got really, really sick. She was two months old. And, and when she, they went to the family doctor, the, the doctor wasn't there. So they had to see a different doctor, and, and that doctor was a pretend doctor. He was acting like he was a real doctor. And he looked over the young little girl, and, 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 he, and he put put on her eyes as she was sick, hot mustard poultices. And, and what that did was is, is you'd put it on for about 20 minutes in different places, and, and it would start tingling and, and, and stuff. And then you got to take it off about 20 minutes later. Otherwise, if you left it on too long, it's going to give you first-degree burns. Well, he put it on her eyes. And eventually, the little girl, she got better in her sickness. But her eyes never healed, and she was blind. Little girl's daddy died two months later. After going blind, then her daddy dies. Her mom ends up going and, and becoming a maid just to make ends meet. So the little girl spends most of her life growing up with her grandmother. Her grandmother, just a devout Christian in the 1820s. My grandmother loved poetry and loved scripture and, and taught this, this blind little girl all of these verses and all of this poetry. And, and the young girl started writing some poetry. She wrote at eight years old, Oh, what a happy soul I am, although I cannot see. I am resolved that in this world contented I will be. How many blessings I enjoy that other people don't to weep inside because I'm blind. I cannot, and I won't. 
amazing words. She loved poetry, but she zealously memorized scripture. As a child, she could recite the, the books of the law, the gospels. She could recite uh, uh, the uh, Proverbs and Song of Solomon and many psalm chapters and verses. And there was this one day when she was older. She was getting into to hymn writing. And this musician stopped by. It was a surprise visit. And he goes, oh, oh, I, I, I've got this, I, I've got this uh, Sunday school convention that I need to sing at. I have a tune, but I don't have the words for it. But the only thing is, is I have 35 minutes before I have to get on the train. A young lady in her 20s says, play it. And the gentleman plays the music on the piano, and, and she's listening. And Fanny Crosby, listening to it, says, you know what? Your music says to me, safe in the arms of Jesus. And she quickly wrote the hymn, Safe in the Arms of Jesus. 9,000 plus hymns Fanny Crosby wrote in her career. She died in her 90s. That's one of the most famous ones she ever wrote. Safe in the arms of Jesus, safe on his gentle breast, thereby his love overshaded, Sweetly my soul shall rest. The scripture says, God is our refuge and strength, a helper who is always found in times of trouble. Our Savior wants us to run to him. He wants us to run to him. He wants us to be like little chicks who are running to their mother hen and getting tucked under the wing. That's biblical. That's good. Go to Jesus. We need to seek, seek safety in the arms of Jesus. Seek safety in the arms of God. Our second point is that as Christians, we should serve those whom we are leading. Serve those whom we are leading. Starting in verse 2 of Acts 28. The native people showed an unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all. Because it had begun to rain and was cold, when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire. We'll stop there. You see, this is great leadership by Paul. Great leadership. He's, he's not just commanding the people. Remember, he just got kind of command of the ship. And they were actually listening to what he was saying. And all the people knew that it was because of Paul, of what he was doing and why they weren't killed. And, and, and now they come ashore and, and here goes Paul. Digging through the brush, finding sticks so he can keep the fire going with the rest of the group. You see, leaders don't raise themselves up on pedestals. They don't go up higher. They bend down. They pick up sticks. They go out in front with the soldiers in the, in the battle. They wash feet of those that are serving them. Many of us have opportunities for leadership. Right here in this room, probably every single one of us in some fashion are leaders. 
leading our children, leading our homes, leading our workplaces, leading a team, leading uh, people on a trip, leading a younger sibling. We lead in a lot of different ways. I was at a basketball game the other day, and it was, it was a couple schools against each other, and there was this private Christian school that I was familiar with, with the founders. And, and, and I, I'm watching as that team won the basketball match, and, and, and they're all on the court celebrating and going crazy, and, and this is a big deal. And then I look over to my right, and I see the founders, the ones who financed the whole thing, the ones who were the leaders. They're cleaning up the entire stands, picking up all the garbage of where their school was at. There's people that that's their job to clean up. But they were taking the leadership and they were humbling themselves to go and just pick up the stuff and to clean it up because they knew, hey, that's just what we do. We serve. Much more than that, when, when Jesus was washing the feet of his disciples, that's way more than that. Remember, you, you'd wash your feet when you came into a place because you all the dust and dirt and stuff, and you wanted to get your feet clean. Usually a servant or, or, or somebody else of lower status would, would do the washing of feet. But Jesus gets the basin and, and comes by and, and starts washing, getting on the floor getting dirty himself. I could just see him scrubbing around the big toes. Talk about getting real, right? And, and, and his disciples, they were amazed. No, no. They were appalled. They said, you can't do this. You know what they missed? Jesus had been serving for the last three years in their presence. Jesus had been had been showing them through great leadership that he was a servant. That is great leadership. And Jesus obviously is, is the greatest servant leader of all by going to the cross for us. That's true leadership. And in essence, that's what Paul was doing. He wasn't hunkered in the corner. He, he wasn't trying to stay dry and catching his breath because they swam ashore. He's 50 plus years old. He has some, something that's been bothering him. We've heard multiple times that God won't take it from him. He, he's very, very hungry. I'm sure that he's exhausted. And yet he's gathering sticks for his fellow man. And I thought, after a long day's work, do I come home and have other energy left? For the people that matter most. The people that, that I'm supposed to be serving the most. Molly, the other day, comes to me at 8.30, 9 o'clock. She goes, Dad, remember? I have homework and a, and a test to study for. What am I going to do at that moment? Am I going to serve? Or am I going to want to do whatever I want to do on my own? See, those are the tough times of when we could be servant leaders. Because I want Molly to be just like me. 
I want Molly to marry a guy just like me. But guess what? If I'm a poor example and I want that, that's not good for Molly. So I need to show Molly that example over and over of, of how her dad absolutely loves her mom and absolutely loves to serve the children. And But most of all, how I love Jesus Christ and how I serve him at his pleasure. Serving those we know and those we don't is equally important. It's not about a show either. When we serve, we don't need to do it as a show. I don't think Paul was like, hey, look at me, guys, as he's got the sticks. He, he wasn't putting on a show. Paul wrote to the Galatians. He said, for you were called the freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Jesus said to the Pharisees in Matthew 23, Verse 4, he said, They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. By serving others, Paul is actually getting opportunities to share the gospel. He's given opportunities to spread the good news. That's why we serve others, is because we serve the king. And when you serve at the pleasure of the king, capital K, you do anything you can to spread the gospel. And that's what Paul was doing. He was getting these opportunities. I guarantee some of the other prisoners, even after all this stuff, and then they see Paul there doing that, and even though he's been shown favor by, by the centurion and, and other people, they might be like, okay, okay, I could talk to this guy. And maybe they learned about Jesus. As Christians, we seek safety in the arms of God, and we should serve those whom we are leading. Another thing I see in the scripture is that we should stand on the word of God. Stand on the word of God. Back in verse 3 of Acts 28, when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on a fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer. Though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said he was a god. You see, it was about five years ago at this time in this story, Paul wrote the second letter to the church of Corinth. This is what he wrote in that letter. He said, five times I have received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys and danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger from the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many sleepless nights, and hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there was the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. 
All of this happened before Paul ever stepped foot in Jerusalem when he came back from his third journey. In Jerusalem, he got beat again. <coughs> he nearly got flogged by the Romans. He got imprisoned for two years. And then he finds them shipwrecked for the fourth time. And all of this happened before Paul is bit by a poisonous snake. Wow. What a ministry Paul had. I wonder what Paul was thinking at the time when, when, when he's putting the wood in and, and this viper grabs his hand. I wonder if he panicked and, and, and started running around screaming like a, like, like a little girl. Ah! I don't think he was. I think he stayed very calm. It probably hurt. Maybe worse than, than a couple bee stings. I'm not sure about, about that, what, what his pain tolerance was. But they, they referred to him as a god after the fact. So he must have handled it pretty good. Looked at it. You know, I, I actually imagine Pastor Dave in this scene. I, that's what I pictured last night as I was finishing the study. I, I, I pictured him kind of looking at it like, huh, that's interesting. And then just chucking it right back in the fire. You know, Paul maybe was hearing from the Holy Spirit at that moment. Viper jumps on, poisonous snake. Maybe he thought about the words that Jesus spoke to the apostles. Mark 16, 18 says, They will pick up serpents with their hands, and if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick, and they will recover. Paul was on a mission from God. He knew that he was going to get to Rome and preach the gospel. He didn't know. Maybe this was going to cause him to be sick. Maybe he was going to be injured for a while. But he knew it wasn't going to kill him. Because he knew that God was in control. He knew that he could trust in the word of God. He was resting in that. I think of Peter. I kind of told the story a little bit uh, in, in my uh, communion commentary. Remember the 5,000? They went out in the, in the sea and, and the storm came up and, and they were terrified. And, and as they're, they're terrified, they see a ghost out in the water and, and they're like, oh my goodness, what is it? What is it? And then they say, it's Jesus. And Peter says, If it is you, Lord, tell me to come to you. And what does Jesus say? Come. And Peter jumps out of the water and, and he starts walking on the water. Here's what it says. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took a hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? You see, Peter was standing on the word of God. 
And it didn't matter if he was standing on concrete or on water. When we are trusting in God's word, we have a foundation like no other. We, we, have, we have listened to God and obeyed him. But when Peter took his eyes off the Savior and he forgot the words of God, that's when he sunk. And I know each of us struggle with something. We struggle with our faith in, in some facet. We get down. We almost feel like life is, is choking us out at times. I'm telling you today that when you keep your focus on Jesus, when, when you keep your, your thoughts straight on God's word and on, on the understanding of God's word, you'll be able to stand upright. You'll be able to have a strong foundation for your life. As Christians, we should seek the safety in the arms of God. We should serve those who are your leading. We should stand on the word of God. And next, we should share God's love with those we meet. Share God's love with those we meet. Verse 7 of Acts 28. Now in the neighborhood of that place were islands belonging to the chief man of the island named Publius, who received us and, the, and entertained us hospitable, hospitably for three days. It happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and, and dysentery. And Paul visited him and prayed and putting his hands on him, healed him. When this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. They also honored us greatly, and when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. After three months, we set sail in a ship that had wintered in the island, a ship of Alexandria, with the twin gods as a figurehead. Putting in at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days. First, it's pretty amazing to see that Publius was able to receive 276 people and entertain them for three days. How many of you can entertain five people additional to your family for a couple days? Let alone 276. He must have had quite, a, quite an estate. Publius, from everything we know, was not a believer at that time. They had not heard the gospel before. And yet Paul joined in the home of Publius. And I often think about these things and I reflect on how much I'm interacting with people that don't know Jesus Christ. How many times am I going to homes of people that do not know Jesus? I want that to sink in. I want you to think about that because we spend so much time with, with fellow believers, which is great. But how much time are we actually seen with non-believers? How many times are we eating with non-believers? I reflect on that myself significantly. We know Paul did. We know Jesus did. Many of the prophets lived amongst unbelievers. All of the things that we have said so far lead up these opportunities to sharing God's love with people. If we come to Jesus in our time of need and bow before him seeking eternal safety in his arms, 
we're going to have opportunities to serve. We're going to have opportunities to serve people that, that in, in, in ways that somehow could bring God glory. All the while, we can continue to soak in God's word and mature in our faith. And ultimately, to share God's love with everyone we meet. See, the Pharisees, they lived lives where they were excluding other people. So they could puff themselves up. So they could feel righteous. Is that what you're doing? Is that, is that the life you're trying to create so you can have a righteous life? So you can not get your hands dirty with, with some of the messes that are going on, some of the things that are, are happening with other people's lives? That's what we got to ask ourselves. Are we seeking opportunities to, to share what the God of the universe has done? Here's the problem. This is a huge issue, and listen closely. The issue is Publius and these people showed unusual kindness. And when you show unusual kindness, guess what? It's hard to share the gospel to say you are a sinner because they're so nice. I literally have been reflecting on this over and over and over in my life to think of all the people that I have entertained and talked with and, and been with and, and talked about nothing that matters. Talking about sports and, and, and uh, vacations and, and, and things that they're doing and, and work and all of those things mean nothing in the end. But because they're so kind, that makes it hard to share the truth, the gospel, Jesus Christ, why he came here. And, and we have to get to the point that we don't care we're going to share. You see, if you were walking along with that same exact person and you were walking along on a mountainside and you could see ahead that they were going to walk off the cliff, would you say, oh, whoa, hey, stop, stop, hey, stop, you're going to fall off? Yes, yes, we all would say that. We all would stop them. But because they're so kind, we don't want to wreck the relationship. We don't want to mess this up. I, I'm just going to let them see Jesus in my life. Well, I sure hope they are. Look for opportunities to share. I am preaching to myself, friends. I don't care if no one's in here. Paul wasn't picking and choosing who he'd share this message with. He was allowing God to do it. He was allowing the Holy Spirit to guide his steps. Amen? That's what we need to do. We have to allow the Holy Spirit to guide these opportunities. We need to continue on. Verse 13. And from there we made a circuit and arrived at, at Regium. 
And after one day, a south wind sprang up. And on the second day, we came to Puteoli. There we found brothers and were invited to stay with them for seven days. And so we came to Rome, verse 15. And the brothers there, when they heard about us, came as far as the forum of Apius and the three taverns to meet us. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. When we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. He made it. He finally made it to Rome. And, and this is where I almost wanted to applaud when I got to it. 574 days. And finally we see Saul, Paul, make it to Rome. It was a big moment. So the last point in this first section is we should stay encouraged through fellowship. And Paul was quite encouraged. He got to stay with fellow brothers of Christ for, for a week and people that weren't his disciples. They, someone else led them to Christ. Paul saw people come from more than 40 miles away to greet him, to give him a hug, to love on him. What a tremendous encouragement that must have been. You see, Paul made a great journey. A great journey to get there, and the goal for years and years was finally coming to fruition. He didn't know how it was going to play out. He didn't know what was next. But he did know that he was welcomed with open arms. And he took courage, Scripture says. And Paul was even blessed with his own home. Yeah, he had a guard with him the whole time, but he was blessed. He was going to be able to entertain guests. He's going to be able to write numerous books of, uh, that we celebrate in Scripture. And most importantly, he was going to get to share the gospel. Friends, that's why we spend Sunday, Sundays together and Wednesday nights for, for some of us. It's so that we can encourage one another, so we can spur one another on. So we can continue our quest to share God's message. We are not gathered here to be a country club. To be some box you're checking off that you went to church. We should not be going here so we can make our parents happy. Or show that we can make our spouse happy. We come to church to fellowship with one another. That's our goal. Fellowship with one another and praise Jesus Christ. And, and when you fellowship with one another, encouragement happens. So you can get out there. So you can get out there and, and, and you can do courageous acts for the gospel. That's why we gather with one another. All right, some final thoughts. As I sat and I contemplated the scriptures, and I reflected on my own life, and, and I, I started really thinking about all the destinations that Phil Chapman has been uh, desiring in my life. Places that I wanted to be, places I wanted to accomplish. I, I went to college in Jacksonville, Illinois, 
and ended up at Northern. I got my degree in education and I ended up as a youth pastor in Minnesota. I then went to Oswego to be a PE teacher and I ended up being a principal. I took a position as a principal in Indiana and I ended up being a father of two more kids and a superintendent. I came back to Illinois to be a superintendent and I became a laborer and a pastor. And then I, I, I shot a, a Facebook message to this lady saying, hey, you got any sub work for a bivocational pastor? And I may end up with a sixth kid. Paul had many ideas what he wanted to do in his life. He studied scriptures. He understood God's word. And he was not going to let anyone break apart the scriptures. And when he found out about these crazy whacks that were going nuts about this Messiah, this nutcase called Jesus, he was going to be part of the elimination process. He was going to be a bounty hunter. And he was going to take them out. But Paul, along with many others, went from persecution to proclaimers. Paul had a destination in his mind, and it changed in a moment. And I think that's why Paul was so successful. I said it earlier. Paul was successful because he was listening to the Holy Spirit. He allowed the Holy Spirit to direct his ways, to, to, to guide him. When, he, when the Holy Spirit would stop him from going to one place, he'd go to another place. And he kept moving forward. He kept moving forward. He wasn't staying stagnant. It didn't matter the place. It didn't matter the circumstance. It didn't matter how young or how old. When God wanted to work, God worked through Paul. You see... Here's our final two points. We need to stay focused not only in our points of destination, but also in our pit stops along the way. You see, God has so much for us in the pit stops. So much. Stops along our life's journey sometimes we think are absolutely meaningless. And God says, those are the moments I want. It is said that, that Publius the one who was, who was the leader of the, the island, it was said that he was the first Christian. He's the first pastor, and most likely he had the first church at his home. If Paul would have just rested and relaxed those three months in that pit stop where they were seeking refuge, Hundreds, thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of people would not have known Jesus Christ through that ministry. 
When I went to Northern and I was commuting back and forth, I went there for a year and a half. I worked two jobs. I got married in, the, in, in that process as well. If I wouldn't have been there with a focus of sharing Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, literally looking and asking God, give me opportunities, give me opportunities, Doug would have never given his life one week before graduation. Frankly, as I ponder God's word, I can tell you that we are not at our destination yet. Paul got to his destination. What was it? 64 AD, he was, he was killed. And when he was killed, he walked into heaven and he heard Jesus say, well done, my good and faithful servant. That's the destination we need to yearn for. All the other things are just pit stops. Our destination is heaven. That's our focus. That's where we go to. We need to make most of these pit stops. One final story. Fanny Crosby. Spoke of her earlier, the author of Safe in the Arms of Jesus. She surely knew a thing or two about heartache and troubled times, being blind since infancy. Yet, in addition to penning over 9,000 hymns, she's known to utter these faith-filled words. Here's her quote. Do you know that if at birth I had been able to make one petition, it would have been that I was born blind? Because when I get to heaven, the first face that shall ever gladden my sight will be that of my Savior. Fanny may be in the dark. She may have never been able to see, but Jesus was with her all along. As Fanny said, oh, we are safe in the arms of Jesus, friends, safe on his gentle breast. In his presence we're overshadowed by love, so sweetly our souls can rest. 